This is the Retags Podcast. In association with Andrew W. Mellon Foundation and the University of Cape Town, Retags is the reimagining tragedy from Africa and the Global South. In this limited series, we will be exploring and contextualizing themes of tragedy as they relate to the inaugural production of the Retags Project, Antigone, Not Quite Quiet, presented by the University of Cape Town and the Magnet Theater. Welcome to the music episode of the Retags Podcast. I'm your host, Emma. This week, I sat down with the composer and music director of this Antigone project, Nao Mayanga. Nao has a long working relationship with the Magnet Theatre, and in this episode, we were able to talk about what he thinks about tragedy, its relationship to music, and its relationship to the South African identity. A fair warning, we did record this in our rehearsal space, so the background chatter and microwave dings you might hear are just the performers. So the first question that I'm asking everybody is, what does tragedy mean to you? I don't know. It's a mystery, really, because there are ways of seeing all of life as a tragic unfolding of sequences of effects and um, affects. And I think the, the reality for me is that what's tragic is there is... Um, a lack of understanding about what makes the world what it is and in what way one as an individual can influence or participate in that uh, and the extent to which one feels powerless to act becomes uh, signified as tragedy. That's my own personal outlook on that. that. That's great. So being sort of the composer and sort of the head of music for this piece, what does tragedy then sound like to you when it comes to music? The workshops are an attempt to find what it sounds like. I have certain assumptions, uh, certain things I start with as a premise. Things like wails, sounds of crying, sounds of trauma are what inform how I've gone into the workshop. Together with the writing, the text that came from Mandisa. And then what I've tried to do is to determine with the group, with the ensemble, what that sound does and feels like for them. So I'm still at a loss as to what exactly the tragic sound will be. I now have a, a few places that I think we can uh, start from, and the, and the hope is that we can go somewhere theatrically with it that translates into some version of a, a tragic retelling. But it's still very much... In flux for me. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask a little more specifically, what is the purpose of this language creation? Because I've been watching that and that process has been really fascinating to see. But what, what, does, what is that supposed to inform? We're thinking about what a spirit, a soul, an entity sounds like when they transition from the world of the real into the world of, say, purgatory. And what I'm trying to do is to imagine what languages make sense, can carry over, can translate into purgatory. Sounds that are not necessarily familiar to our kind of human condition here, but may be related because these people at some point were embodied beings. So the purpose is is to try to find sounds that can be alien from where we live in the real world, and to try and find inspiration from those sounds for how people can start to embody and act differently if they imagine themselves in an alternative space that is between life and death. Because we're trying to imagine what Antigone sounds like. We're also trying to imagine what she carries over as meaning. We're curious as to whether we would be able to understand her if she was speaking back to us from this nether place where she's buried. We're also trying to understand whether she can 
get meaning from us now that she's no longer an embodied, possibly not an embodied being. Yeah. So it's about trying to find interesting different sounds. It's about trying to alienate ourselves from the logic of the languages we use every day. And it's to try and find ways in which we can take what we would regard as meaningful speech in our world and transport it into uh, a, a more chaotic, a more disjointed um, other place and to see what it does when it gets there. Yeah. And then the hope is that we can lift some of these feelings and some of these experiments, we can introduce them to an audience. I'd be curious to see what an audience makes out of these sounds that may start off sounding haphazard and nonsensical and to try and make sense for themselves would be an interesting journey, I think. Yeah, it's definitely also interesting to see like what kinds of sounds that are manifesting like as the languages, especially because almost all of these performers speak more than one language mm. and sort of what sort of sounds are coming to the forefront. And I definitely sort of as uh, somebody who was a performer in a completely different cultural context who only spoke one language, mm. like if we were asked to create a separate language, I know it would sound completely different, mm. which I think is something that's, at least for me specifically, is something that's been really amazing to watch. Mm. Going back to the music part, I want you... You're obviously bringing out like something that's traditionally African because we're informing this in Africa, mm. and that's a big part of this whole tragedy project. And so you have these sort of traditional instruments. Do you think that those instruments embody a sound of tragedy, or because some of it's like at least to me is like very much outside of this. A lot of it sounds very celebratory to me. What parts of this music are tragic for you? When people from outside listen to the protest music in this country, they think it's celebratory. Yeah. And that's because there's euphoria in tragedy. There's, a, there's a, almost a sense of being high in, in being so out of body that your emotions take over. And so I guess we're leaning into that because it's something we know. It's something in this country, in this tradition, certainly that isn't foreign. Yeah. The instruments I'm choosing, again, are part of an experiment to try and find what sound goes with the voices and what sound goes with the intentions of the text. I'm using a lot of string instruments, and the strings in, in the kind of musicals or stage music usually is, is how you create emotion, empathy. The, to it, me, yeah, the, it sets the, a mood and all of that. Yeah. Yes, it's the, it's the drawing of the heart strings. Right? So the idea of the string that can vibrate in resonance with another's sadness or loss. But it's also the thread that ties uh, these different stories. We all have individually different stories. To, I'm trying to find a way of threading through all of those. It's also just practically to give people a sense of key yeah, yeah, yeah. and a key of tonality because people in this tradition understand that. But I haven't settled on what instruments are going to be used. I'm curious to find out more about the echoes uh, and the effects and trying to manipulate the digital devices so that we can get, again, an alterity in terms of sound, create a certain kind of strangeness. Not sure we've found the right one yet, but that's what this time is for. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really amazing to see. It's 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 all so brand new, and I I like that it's starting from such a sort of formless place and sort of growing up from that. So these these songs that you've been I'm coming in here so so blind, mm. except for have, being well versed in Sophocles. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what are these songs that you are picking? Are these like, because a lot of the performers know them already. So 
are these traditional folk songs that you've been choosing? No, there are only two songs that are pro okay. pro from the protest tradition. Okay. Uh, actually, only one. They, they only knew the one. They didn't know the second one. They didn't one. know the second one. But they know the tradition that that song comes from. I see. Protest okay. music in this country works according to a certain well-practiced call and response uh, strategy, which people who, who've grown up here instinctually can play into that because they've heard it all their life. So they may not consciously know how to make it or think they don't know how to make it, but actually when you give them the, the parameters and you give them the elements, people usually can pull it together. But I'm referring to the protest tradition. Uh, one of the songs is a famous, I would say, dirge that's usually sung at the funerals of uh, revolutionaries who died. I see. This was a big, a big song in the 80s in the exile movement but has transitioned into a song that people still sing today, to either to remember that time or to make arguments about this present time and the deaths that are occurring. And then the other one is a song that is drawn from the Marikana resistance uprising, mm -hmm. when um, a man called Mambush was murdered in this massacre carried out by the police. And both of those speak to the series of oppressions and responses to those oppressions that people hear have uh, lived through yeah. over the 80s and this one comes from 2012 okay um, so they recognize the that tradition but what we're also doing is is threading what we're talking about in terms of tragedy here and the resistance uh, stance of Antigone to the resistance stance of the people who fought for liberating this country yeah we're also talking about the people who were the resistance front during the fallist movement and some of how that breaks down within the fallist movement is a question also that we're trying to inhabit and follow up on yeah that's great i love that can you tell me a little bit more about the protest tradition and sort of because like obviously it's like rooted in apartheid and does it go even further back like during the colonial era? These songs come uh, made especially for apartheid, yeah. to oppose that system. Yeah. But the singing style, the aesthetic, will have been from pre-colonial times. It's, some of this material is based on what's called Indlamo, Nguni music, the call and response okay. uh, tradition, uh, the war song tradition, praise poetry tradition also. These are the elements that make up what we now call our protests protest song um, and the protest song in South Africa was a way of voicing pain anger longing aspiration tragedy yeah. and it's a well understood practice it's carried over you know so almost continuously from the end of apartheid on to the beginning of democracy which, which essentially is the question when I perform this material I ask that question why is it we still perform the same material is it because there's a continuity and there's been no change or no not sufficient investment in shifting things and realities which makes those songs that were written against one system still important and urgent to use for this current system yeah. so it's a it's an irony that i'm putting forward and my proposal is there are problems when we start to sing the same protest songs today as we used to sing under apartheid we we have some fundamental problems around political positioning and analysis and then the question is what do we do once we once we are at that point how do we talk about that what does it mean uh, to be engaging with the same material and how who do we become in the performance of those songs it's a long-standing tradition uh, but it's probably more convenient to talk about how they were designed against apartheid uh, the tradition before that wasn't necessarily written or notated or recorded uh, so it would have been delivered orally 
uh, would have been passed down from generation to generation. This is how these songs are learned. Uh, the tradition of the protest song is usually repetitive, simple kernels of uh, melody, harmony, and I think they're designed to be easily assimilated while in protest uh, on the street. I see that the performers are picking, especially the ones that they don't know, they're picking them up very quickly. The melodies are fairly simple, but it does sort of have a, a heavy emotional uh, toll, just the sound of the music, without even understanding what the words actually mean, because mm. I do not know the words that they are singing, I just know that, that it sounds gorgeous. Mm. <laughs> You're leaning into this protest theme, which is pretty much the base theme of Antigone, even before we get into sort of the, the cultural adaptations of it. But in terms of tragedy and protest, what, what role do you want the music to play? I proceed from the point of view that says we, we should just ask questions of ourselves in this time. What, to what extent are we complicit in the tragic circumstances. If we can examine ourselves honestly, what role can we play in bringing possible resolutions, possible relief to some of those situations? So the music is, and sound in fact, so the sound is bigger than the music. It's, it's the universe of the oral that becomes affected. The question is how do, we, how do we tap on the emotional spaces that are familiar to people in this country? Protest becomes one. But it's also about how do we tap onto the, the spirit of the protester in the human condition. And that allows us to talk about the world. It allows us not just to talk about Freeze Must Fall or women or South Africa. It allows us to talk about the state of the world today. We look over the weekend at what was happening in Hong Kong. Um, yeah. So we're able to, through this practice, I think, interpret that from our own perspective. And then the point is, what do we do? That being the case, this being the world we live in, what do we do to lean into either bringing solutions or being part of the problem? Which side are we going to choose? Yeah. And I think for me, that's the interesting thing about this project at this time, is this is an urgent question on, on so many different levels in everyday life. What we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do personally, is to find ways of thinking about what's happening in the world and what's happening locally in my world here and how to relate those conversations yeah. and as a result to try and find a, like a, a position that is sensible for me to embody, to inhabit, to participate. Yeah. It sounds like you find protest inherently tragic. No, that, I, find no? The, I find the world. You find the world inherently, inherently tragic. tragic. Okay. Yeah. Pro protest is a way of articulating okay. what you find. Okay. No, that, that works. <laughs> I think that that works and especially for a project like this, finding what connects sort of the tragic to everything else yeah. is how we tell these stories effectively. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, and I think that's the reason we've all come together to use this medium. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how later on, as it continues to grow, how the group works with Jenny doing Ismaini and then with the... I don't even know what the Tiresias part really is going to be right now. They, they want it to be something uh, film-based, I think, but... I think nobody really knows. It's a mystery. Yes, for now. But, but that's part of the fun of it.
huge thank you to Nail for sitting down with me and talking about these pretty heavy subjects, but in a way that makes it really accessible, especially to someone like me who hasn't lived in South Africa very long and is still very much learning about everything that goes on here today and has gone on throughout history. Thank you for joining me for another episode, and we hope to see you next time.